Well, hello again, Prescott Cornerstone. It is so great to be with you guys. I had such a blast last time and uh, so thrilled when Scott invited me back. And uh, he's away this weekend, so I, I'm so glad to dive in. Uh, and I love the series that you guys are in. Uh, you, you pick great series to go through. And today we're continuing the series, How's Your Heart? Uh, and as we continue it, I want to look at something that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. It's something that we get a little squirrely when we talk about, but we're going to look at greed. And the title of the message today is The Measure of Life. Okay, so we're going to talk about greed, and, and I know that greed's kind of a weird one, and it's, it's a little bit nebulous to try to, to quantify it. But we're going to look at a story that Jesus told and, and unpack what does this story mean for us, and, and what does it say about our heart as we reflect on Jesus' story today. You know, when I was given the topic of greed, uh, it's, a, it's a tricky subject because no one looks in the mirror and sees greed. You know, no one looks in the mirror and goes, wow, I am a greedy person. In fact, in all my years of ministry, I have never met a person that openly describes themselves as greedy. I, I just never met. Now, maybe they exist. I, I haven't met one that just says to me, you know what? I am just, I, man, I am a super greedy person. We usually think this is one of those things that like our neighbor, you know, it, it struggles with. Like you should see them or I, I hope so-and-so is tuning in today, you know, and, and, and maybe you're looking around your living room right now. Like I hope they're listening, right? Because greed is one of those things that it's hard to see in ourselves and and so whenever you talk about it, whenever we look at a story that Jesus tells, it's, it's easy to deflect it, and, and it gets a little bit squirrely. Now, it's not that we're unaware of greed or we're, we're not aware of what we're talking about today. It's just that we often don't connect it to us, and we don't connect it to our, our uh, real life. And it reminds me of something that the, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld once said, and I, I love this quote. He, he says this, he goes, there are many things that we can point to that prove that the human being is not smart. The helmet is my personal favorite. The fact that we had to invent the helmet. Now, why did we invent the helmet? Well, it's because we were participating in many activities that were cracking our heads. We looked at the situation. We chose not to avoid these activities, but to just make little plastic hats so that we can continue our head-cracking lifestyles. The only thing dumber than the helmet is the helmet law, the point of which is to protect a brain that is functioning so poorly, it's not even trying to stop the cracking of the head that it's in. I, I love the imagery there of certain things that we just go, yeah, of course you wear a helmet. And, and yet someone else could argue that's a little bit silly. Why, why are you not just avoiding that? And and I'd like to put today's topic in one of those kind of categories of, of it's hard to look at this objectively, but we're going to try together. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter 12 with me. Uh, Luke is one of the, the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, uh, one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And, and so if you've got a physical Bible with you or a Bible you can turn on, uh, I encourage you to get that out. And I'd love for you to dive in with me. Uh, and as you're turning there, I want to play a little game together. Uh, you can interact at home or wherever you are, uh, wherever you're watching this from. Uh, and I want you to think of how you would behave in this situation. And we're going to try to see how, how we think about uh, when it comes to money, when it comes to how we spend our money. Now, for this little game, I want you to imagine uh, that you have planned a weekend away and you're going to go to Las Vegas. Now, 
Las Vegas has, has got lots of different things you can do there. And you don't have a ton of money. You have $200, okay? And so you decide you want to go to a show at Las Vegas. And, and that's what you're really excited about. And, and you've got $200 and the show costs 100 so you decide uh, of your $200, you're going to buy a ticket in advance. You don't want to, to worry about whether or not you can get a seat. So you buy a ticket in advance. You spend 100 of the $200 that you have, and, and you have your ticket ready with you. You have your other 100 ready with you as spending money, and you go to Vegas for the weekend. Now, the day of the show, you're, you're so excited. Uh, you've been planning on this. You've been ready for it. You go to, to get the ticket out of your pocket, and you realize you have lost your ticket. This is a horrible feeling. Some of you, you know the feeling of, of this, and, and you cannot figure out where you put this ticket. And so you look in your pocket, and, and where the ticket should be, there is no ticket. You have lost that. But you realize you still have a $100 bill that you had for the weekend. Now, here's the question I want you to think about. Would you buy another ticket? Okay, so you lost the first one. You'd already bought it. You lost it. But you still have that other $100 in your pocket. You can get another ticket. Would you buy another ticket? Now, here's the next question. If you did, how much did it cost you? How much did that show cost you? Now, maybe uh, as you look around, if you're watching with your family or with some friends, maybe there's a little disagreement right now. And, and maybe, you know, you're, you're talking about your answers and, and not everyone's on the same page. But, but it begins to, to think about how we actually spend our money. Now, I want you to, to imagine the same scenario, but we're going to change it a little bit. I want you to, to imagine same thing. You're going to go to Vegas for the weekend. Uh, you're excited. You've got $200 spending money. Uh, but instead of buying a ticket in advance, you know that you are prone to losing things. So you're not going to buy a ticket in advance. You're going to buy a ticket the day of. So you just bring $200 bills with you because you don't want to lose that ticket. And you decide you're going to go and you're going to buy your ticket when you get there. But the day of the show, you go to, to get your wallet out and you're ready to buy a ticket and you realize you lost one of your $100 bills. You, you, you were so worried about the ticket, you didn't even realize you lost a $100 bill. Now, you still have a $100 bill. You can still buy a ticket for the show. So the question now, would you buy a ticket? Now, this actually shouldn't be another one. It should just be a ticket. Would you buy a ticket? Because you, you had already planned on it. You didn't get to, to buy one. Would you buy a ticket? Now, if you did, how much did it cost you? Now, here's what I want you to think about. Uh, how many of you answered differently to scenario one and scenario two? Again, if you've got people around you, just show of hands, just, just play along. Uh, did you answer differently in scenario one versus scenario two? Or, or if you didn't answer differently, did you at least feel differently about the, the two different situations that you might be in? Now, why is this the case? The outcome in both of those examples is exactly the same. But if we're honest, they don't feel the same. That they, they bring out different feelings in us and, and different thought processes when it comes to how we manage our money. Let me give you another illustration. Imagine uh, just you, you scrap the whole show idea. You're like, that's not going to work out. You're going to go play roulette. Okay, so you're going to go to Vegas. You're going to play roulette. And, and you know, hey, I, I'm not good at this. And so you only bring $5 with you. 
to, to the casino because you just know, like, look, if I go in there with money, it's not going to be good. Uh, you know that you'd lose tickets, you'd lose hundreds. So you're just going to bring a $5 bill with you and you're going to go play roulette. And, and you just think, hey, I'll, I'll play this game until the money runs out and, and then we'll be fine. And then, you know, I, I'll go on and do something else. But as you start to play roulette, you start to win and you keep winning and you win and win and when and you go on the craziest string of luck that you have ever had in your life and you just cannot believe yourself you get so much success it's going so well you get up at one point to a million dollars off of your original $5 investment. I mean, this is incredible. Everybody's flocking around you. They cannot believe what they're watching. You feel like you cannot lose. So you decide in a moment of boldness to bet it all on the very next roll, the very next spin. I don't know. I never played roulette. I don't know how you do it. The very next turn, you're going to bet it all. And as everyone holds their breath to watch, you lose it all. And so you walk away from that table and you walk back to your room and you have a conversation with your spouse who's waiting for you. And they ask you a very simple question. Hey, how did it go? Now, here's the question. Did you lose $5? Now, think this through. Married people. Did you lose $5? Is that the story that you tell? Or did you lose $5? One million dollars. Now, some of you, again, you go, I I lost five dollars. Some of you are like, I lost a million. Now, both were your money. So why does it feel differently? And and certainly that that is an answer you got to think through when it comes to how you explain this scenario to your spouse. Now, what's going on here? Why, why do all these situations feel differently, even when we're talking about uh, money, which should be very logical? See, all these examples are, are something called mental accounting. Mental accounting. That might be a phrase you want to write down and, and do a little research on. And, and this is something that I think triggers us uh, when we talk about greed. And we, again, we want to talk about like, yeah, it's this theoretical thing. If we're going to be real and go, yeah, greed is something we often deal with, we got to figure out, well, how does it happen? And mental accounting is one explanation uh, of how this often plays out in our life. Now, what is mental accounting? This is when we compartmentalize our money and it affects the way that we spend it. Okay, we, we, we put money into categories in our head. And, and this is why sometimes we feel like I already bought a ticket or I haven't bought a ticket or, or we start to assign value to money and that changes the way it affects the way that we spend it now with this in mind as mental accounting as a backdrop i want to look at a a story that jesus tells because i think this story is going to speak to uh how we often get stuck in mental accounting now we're going to go to luke chapter 12 and if you want to read along with me we're going to go to verse 15 it says this this is the new living translation i'm reading out of then jesus said beware Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. What a great problem to have. And then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat 
and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like a pretty good deal. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, maybe you look at that story and you really relate with the person in it and how they're viewing their money. Or maybe you look at that story and you go, yeah, that's horrible. Why should anyone ever do that? See, we, we have all these weird ideas when it comes to how we actually play out and how we actually spend our money. And so one of the things I think we got to begin with, we go, okay, what, what do we do here, Jesus? How do we begin to look, work on our hearts when it comes to greed? It, it, is realizing that managing money faithfully doesn't happen by accident. You're not going to wake up one morning and you just accidentally became less greedy. You just accidentally became generous. You just accidentally uh, figured out how to totally do what God wants you to do with your money. I, I've never found that it works like that. Instead, it's someone who goes, no, I, I need to look at my heart here. I need to do some, some, some studying. I need, to, I need to go a little bit deeper. I need to ask some reflective questions. And, and if we're willing to do that, we begin to see a little bit more. And, and we begin to realize, hey, mental accounting often messes us up in, in ways we may not realize. So here's a, a question for you. What areas of your money have you compartmentalized to get what you want? What have you done mentally to spend your money the way you want to spend it and not feel guilty about it? And you may be going, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? I, I, I just do what I'm supposed to do with my stuff. Well, again, if you begin to realize how we often uh, behave in irrational ways when it comes to our money, maybe you start to realize some of the things that we do and we go, yeah, that, that may not make a lot of sense. If, if we're honest, for most Christians, it looks like this. If I tithe... The rest of my money is, is mine. And that's kind of a simple idea. And, and so maybe you tithe, which would you know, be a 10%. Maybe you go, I, I give 10%. And, and assuming you actually do that, you actually give 10%, uh, then you go, yeah, the rest of this is, is mine. And yet here's what I would say. That the problem with just focusing on that to go, that's how I'm going to solve this, is, is really asking the wrong question. That's asking the question, how much do I get to keep? See, if you go about tithing, go, well, what do I need to give? 10%? Because really what we're asking is, how, how much is, is mine? How much do I get to keep? Another way we, we often explain this, and uh, we'll say, hey, it's about 10, 10, 80. And that would be 10% to giving, 10% to savings, and then 80% you get to keep. Well, yeah, that's great, 10, 10, 80. And, and again, that might be a great goal for you if, if you're a long way off from that. And, and there's certainly some, some principles there. But again, notice that the, the focus is on how much really do we get to keep. It's that 80%. And then if we can give 10% there and we can save 10% there, we can go crazy with the 80%. And we get the sense of, I can do whatever I want with it. And that, I would suggest, is mental accounting. I put this there, I put this there, and then I get to do whatever I want with this. To put it in the context of the story that Jesus tells, that's essentially asking how many barns can I own? How big of barns am I allowed to have? Notice that if you were to ask that question, if this, this person were to ask this question, it would be the wrong question. 
they would not be to understand the point of the story that Jesus is making. But usually that's how we do it. Hey, I just need to know how much do I get to keep? And then mentally, it's fair game. Then mentally, I get to do whatever I want with that money. But I want you to notice, again, what Jesus said in verse 21. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This is when you know if, if greed is really starting to mess you up. It's starting to become an issue with your heart. You see, the focus isn't necessarily on how much you're storing up. And if you're worried about that, I would say you've already missed the, the, the question because you're, you're mentally accounting for your money. The focus rather is on whether you have a rich relationship with God. That's how you avoid greed. That's how you diminish the effects that greed can have in your life is, is not how much do I get to store up? No, that's the wrong question. It's whether to go, hey, do I have a rich relationship with God? Is that something that defines my life? And again, to use it in the terms that Jesus uh, used in the story, are we measuring ourselves by our stuff or by our relationship with God? Now, again, we know we're in church, right? You're watching church. You know, oh, the right answer is I measure it by, by my relationship with God. But do we really? I mean, do we not gauge the people around us, how well they're doing, the cars they drive, the houses they have, the, the, the careers that they have? Do we not keep up with them? Are we not gauging this? And we, we're tempted to say, that's the measure of my life. How well am I doing? And, and it's the wrong way to look at it. That's, that's the way of greed. Is to measure it by that. And Jesus says, no, no, don't measure your life by the stuff you have, by the barns you can fill. Measure it by a rich relationship with God. And, and you might ask the question, well, how much is a rich relationship with God? And the beauty of that question is there is no answer. There's no one thing you point and go, oh, if you just do this, then for sure you can check it off and not worry about it again. See, a rich relationship with God requires your heart to be involved. It requires your heart to be tender and soft and open to say, God, what is it you want me to do? God, uh, what, what should I do with this new situation or this uh, new opportunity? Or, or why do I sense that you're putting this person on my heart? See, if you have a rich relationship with God, uh, you're not going to have a, a, a percentage that you're going to figure out, oh, that, that's how much I, I get to keep. Because all of your stuff, is God's stuff. And if greed isn't going to be an issue for you, you're going to have a rich relationship with God and you're going to say, God, what do you want me to do with it? And, and that might mean sometimes you get to keep some stuff and sometimes you go, I, I don't need that. And I, I'm going to, to give that. I'm going to bless others with that. It's a way that we challenge mental accounting. Now, if you're interested and you go, all right, I, I, I want to I deal with this and maybe you still aren't viewing yourself as a greedy person, but maybe you're going, yeah, I could see some of this, that Maybe there's some inconsistencies of how I'm viewing my money or how I'm living this out. I want to give you a couple next steps uh, that you can, you can work on this week. That you can go, hey, I want to dive a little bit deeper into this. I want, to, I want to figure this out. What would this mean for me? So here's just a couple of them. Number one, ask yourself, when was the last time I asked God what I should do with his stuff? Now, notice that that breaks away from the, hey, if I give this, then I get to keep this model. No, no, if all of it is God's, when's the last time I said, God, what, what should I do with this? Now, maybe you thought, well, why, why should I have to ask that question? See, that question implies that you view all of your stuff as God's. 
and maybe you don't. But I would suggest if you want to have a rich relationship with God, beginning that is, is acknowledging all of this is God's. And I'm just uh, here to manage it and steward it. And whatever God would ask of me, I, I would do. So how are you doing uh, managing his stuff? How, how are you taking care of it? How are you doing uh, looking after God's vehicle that, that he's entrusted to you? Does that vehicle bless you or does, does it bless others? Does it, do others benefit from the car or, or truck that you own? Or does it just bless you and, and maybe your family? What about the house you live in? Does that house just bless you and your family? Or does your house bless other people because of how you use it? Because you know, like, yeah, we get to live here, but like we are going to use this because we want to have a rich relationship with God. And, and greed isn't going to be a thing that defines us. So, yeah, of course we're going to use this. Or, or how do you look at your finances holistically and go, yeah, th- these are things that we get to benefit from. But ultimately, our finances should bless other people. I'm amazed how often we view, you know, uh, what, we, what we value is like, hey, this is good for me. And, and great, I'm, I'm glad if something's good for you. But do we ever stop to balance that with is what I'm benefiting from also going to benefit others? How, how do I bless others with these things that are blessing me? Another thing you can do is to practice the discipline of generosity. What is that? Practice it. Go, you know what? Uh, this isn't going to happen accidentally because I'm not just going to wake up and become a generous person. So I'm going to have to be intentional about this. I'm going to have to think this through and I'll have to think it through in advance and figure out how, how do I become a more generous person? Uh, I, I don't know anyone who just woke up and, and, and stumbled into generosity. It's because they made a decision. So how, how do you do that? Well, I, I want to encourage you. We're going to provide a resource for you on, on the website. If you go to prescottcornerstone.com forward slash heart, uh, you can find a, a little guide to help you with this, to ask you some questions, to talk through with maybe a, a life group or, or your, your, your friends or your family. And, hey, how, how, do we, how do we engage this conversation in real time? Maybe you can go in, into some specifics there as you get a little bit deeper into that question. How, how are we going to practice generosity? When I was uh, getting married uh, right before, um, I, I was driving a Toyota 4Runner. Now, my 4Runner uh, didn't look as nice as this 4Runner. Uh, this gives you an idea uh, of what I'm talking about. I loved my 4Runner. It was a 1993 4Runner, and oh, I loved this vehicle. I'd had it for a while. It was so fun. It was the, the best vehicle I had owned, and I really thought highly of it. And so uh, the months leading up to our wedding, obviously, we're, we're stressful. There's a lot going on. Uh, any of you who have been married, you know all the, the, the planning and all the expenses of that. And something really strange happened in the midst of that season. As we were planning our wedding, I got this really bizarre sense from God that I was supposed to give my forerunner away. Now, that made no sense to me. Uh, I, I couldn't understand, God, wh- why would you want me to give my phone uh, That's my That's the vehicle I drive. Like, I, I need a vehicle. Uh, and I'm getting married. I mean, this is already stressful, and, and I got bills to pay and all these things. Why right now? And yet I couldn't shake the feeling that God was telling me, you need to give your forerunner away. And, and so I, I tried to figure out, how do I get out of this? And I did what many people do. I, I, I went to my spouse. And I tried to make her the, the, the bad guy in the story. And I said, hey, 
honey, uh, I got this weird sense that uh, I'm supposed to give uh, the forerunner away. But like, that makes no sense, right? Like God wouldn't want us to do that. Really hoping she would give me an out there. And she said, well, Jeremy, if God, you know, is telling you to give the forerunner away, then you need to do it. I began learning early on that my soon-to-be wife was uh, going to be far more generous uh, than I tend to be. And and this was one of the early signs of that. And so she's like, yeah, if if God told you to give it away, give it away, and we'll figure it out. So I prayed about it just to confirm, and God says, yeah, I want you to do this. So I'm like, okay, I'll give it away. So I remember the day I'm having prayer time with God. I said, okay, God, I'm saying yes. I'll give this away. Where, Where do I give it? And I get silence from God. No answer. God, I, I said yes. I'll give this away. Who do I give it to? And I didn't get an answer. And so it was very strange to me to feel such a strong sense that I was supposed to give it away and then have no answer when it came to actually doing it. So I thought, all right, balls in your court, God. I'm saying yes to you, but I have no indication of what you want me to do with it. So you put it on my heart. You, you open my eyes to who I'm supposed to give it to. And, and so we just kind of had that, that dialogue. Well, a few months go by and we get up to the week of our wedding and I still haven't got an answer on this. And, and the week of our wedding, we had all sorts of people uh, fly in from other states and it was incredible. We got to see people that we hadn't seen in a long time. And, and we, we had one of the guys there that uh, we'd gone to high school with and this guy and I, uh, we'd had kind of an interesting uh, early uh, friendship because uh, he was originally friends with my wife and then became friends with me as well. And you know that that can kind of be a weird dynamic. And, and so this guy was there and I hadn't seen him for a long time and, and he'd flown out for the wedding. And, and as I'm talking to him, out of, the, out of nowhere, out of the blue, God tells me, that's the guy right there. You're supposed to give it to him. And I'm like, you're sure this guy? Because we, you know, we had this whole thing and like, this is the guy I'm supposed to give it to. And just clearly felt God saying, it's him. And so I felt like I had all these months of preparation to get my heart ready for this moment. So that night, you know, um, talking to Michelle again, this is the whole week of the wedding. And I'm saying to her, hey, I, I, think, I think this is who we're supposed to give it to. And so she goes, I can tell this is of God because you would never come up with him on your own. And I said, yeah, that's, that's probably right. And she goes, this is cool. She's like, all right, let, you know, you need to do that. And so I waited till the day after our wedding, we were going to do a send off with everybody. And, and so we're getting ready to fly out for our honeymoon. And, and it was one last goodbye to the people who had flown in. We had a special gathering before we go to the airport and he was there. And so I, I brought him outside and the forerunner was in the driveway. I got the keys and I brought him over and I said, Hey man, this is going to sound super weird. Um, but this is for you. And I handed him the keys. He looked at me and he's like, you need me to move your car? Like, what, what, what are you saying? And I said, no, I know this is going to sound strange, but God told me to give you my forerunner. And God's been working on this for months now, and I don't really understand why. Uh, but I just clearly have sense that I'm supposed to do this. And so I, I need to do this. I need, I need to, to give you this forerunner. And he just started welling up with emotion. And he said to me something that totally caught me off guard. He said, Jeremy, um, I don't know if you know this. He said, but I, I bought a one-way ticket to your wedding. I'm thinking, that's a dumb idea. You're like, who, who does that? And I'm like, oh, how, how are you getting home? And he said, I don't know. He said, I, I, I had no way of getting home. I, I, I just bought a one-way ticket to your wedding. And, and I 
in that moment thought, well, God has figured out a way for you to get back because you can drive your new forerunner back home. And it was this incredible moment for me. And I don't tell you that story to say, wow, look at me, because uh, the reality is it took me way too long to say yes to that uh, compared to what it should have been. I should have been way more receptive. But what it reminded me of, and I've since experienced this numerous times, that when you say yes and you go, God, I don't want to live by greed. I want to have a rich relationship with you. I, I want to practice generosity. You get to experience things that are supernatural. You get to see things, to experience things that other people will not get to experience because they just worry about themselves. And, and that was one of the first of, of many sins that I've gotten to see God show up in ways. And I go, God, that is so cool. You were working things behind the scenes that I, I could never have foreseen or predicted or made happen on my own. But, but you did. You, you figured it out. And, and the reality is you and I can experience that every single day. Every single moment we can say yes to God. And so I want to close with this idea as a word of encouragement for you. Alan Watts, the philosopher, said this. You're under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago or 30 minutes ago. If you uh, today say, you know what, I think I am actually kind of a greedy person. You're under no obligation to be that same person. You can say, you know what, God, I, I don't want to have this be an issue of my heart. I don't want sand in there. I, I, I want to be rich in my relationship with you. I, I, I want to be intentional in my generosity. And you can begin today. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that, that we can decide this very moment that we want to have a different kind of relationship with you, that we want to be rich toward you. And so, God, we... We ask that you would open our eyes to see the, the ways that maybe we're compartmentalizing what we have in order to spend what we want in the ways that we want. And God, I pray that you would uh, open up our eyes to see the opportunities before us, incredible ways that we can impact your kingdom. We can literally bring heaven to earth as we decide to intentionally be generous. And so I, I, I pray for, for anyone watching this, for, for all in this community, that you would just spark a wave of generosity, a, a wave of people who say, we want to experience a rich relationship with you. And God, may we get to see you do amazing things in the process. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.